0: Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. I love being with you guys. <laughs> oh, it's <that's> so good. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I want to uh, I, I wanna I wanna just share a few things. We'll probably change it up a little bit. Um, But I I do want to get a few things off my heart this morning that's just connected to where we've been over the last few weeks, and actually even some things that Don was just praying of faithfulness to our assignments. um, There's just a connection to, I think, where we're going today. And uh, over the last few weeks, I've really been stirred since this new year on the the return of the Lord and the coming of our King, and there's a lot of different... um, Specific things that we have looked at that is unto that one reality, uh, being a ready bride. We've talked about the bridegroom fast. We've talked about the different advents and how the first advent is unto the second advent. And, uh, and all of it has been uh, being a ready people and, and having that future day affect us today. And one of the things that the Lord's been stirring in my heart uh, for, for us in this, in this new year is, is putting eternity in our heart. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. God has placed eternity in the heart of man. And I, I I believe it's the will and desire of God that we would not just have a right belief that he is returning, but that it would actually be in our hearts, that eternity would be, be rooted deep within our being, and that it would actually begin to affect us and impact us. That's the idea of it being in our heart. Every, every believer knows that Christ is returning. I hope you agree to that. Uh, but there is something deeper than just knowing it's true when it gets in on the heart level. And I was beginning to think about Jesus and how Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. And consider this, the one who is considered the everlasting one, we say he's Alpha and Omega, which means he is the beginning and the end. That's the letters of the Greek alphabet. That's like saying he's the A and the Z. He's the root of David and he's the son of David. He comes before and after. And there was a moment in history when the Eternal One, the Everlasting One, was clothed with flesh and entered into this earth and walked among us and among temporal things. (laughs) Just imagine that. The Eternal One lived amongst temporal things. And that's why it's no coincidence that Jesus, because eternity was so real, was constantly trying to exhort people to live with eternity in their hearts. Like for him, the idea of anchoring your life in something that's here today, gone tomorrow, was so foreign. And so he was constantly trying to wake his people. Why would he do that? There's a lot of reasons, but one, one of the things that he was showing is that what we do in this age really affects the age to come. Guys, what we do in our life now, and I'm not just talking about salvation, but what we do in this life really has an impact on the age to come. And the biblical word is rewards. There's what's called eternal rewards, which is that one day we will come before God and Jesus will will actually respond and reward for our faithfulness in the assignments that he has given us. So for example, Jesus often speaks about in the parables how stewardship and faithfulness in this age, he says, you were faithful over little in in this age, therefore I will give you much more in the age to come. And we read through these things and we don't pick up this Jesus saying, wait a minute, you need a bigger vision, I need a bigger vision than a five year plan for my life. (laughs) We need more than a 50 year vision. Jesus says, do you have an eternal vision for your life? That your small decisions right now will actually have an incredible impact for billions and billions of years. So therefore, why anchor yourself in the treasures of this earth, but lay up treasures for heaven, he would say, constantly exhorting us in this way. And I want to I I give you a vision of this future day where we will come before what is known as the judgment seat of Christ. It's anchored in his return. And I want you to see that this is a profoundly positive reality. It's an incredible truth that we are all going to be able to come before the Lord this way. Amen. So look, there's not, there's, not many, uh, there's not many messages on biblical rewards. Uh, honestly, outside of the last uh, time we hit this a few weeks ago, personally, I've read it, but I've never studied deep. I find that it's often either it's just avoided altogether, which is such a shame because it's so significant to the Lord. Like all of the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, each of them end with to him who overcomes, and then there's a, there's a reward that's given to that church. It was so serious and so significant to Jesus, so either we avoid it, or what happens is we, we do not do a proper job of presenting how the gospel of grace and our works go hand in hand, and so it can get really perverted and twisted, and we start trying to do enough good things to get into heaven, but that is not what we are talking about here today. <laughs> but what we do need to know is that our works really matter before the Lord. Amen. Yes? So if you would come with me to Second Corinthians chapter 5, please. I really believe what we're talking about over these next few minutes has the ability to mature us so deeply. I believe it has an ability to foster a faithfulness in our hearts to the assignments that God has given us. Now, ultimately, my desire is to actually take us into Revelation 22. And if we have time, we'll look at 1 Corinthians 3, where we'll really break open the specific things about these rewards. But I know that this topic is really so foreign. And so I just want to really quick give you a vision of what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. And then from there, we'll be able to unpack these rewards. And so I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. You guys there? I really want you to see this. A few weeks ago, I hit this, but I, I want to highlight it, make sure are on the same page. So just stay with me, guys. I'm really asking you to do that, because I know there's a lot of misconceptions and thoughts, and I believe God's going to break those things off. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says this. For we must all appear. Everyone say all. (laughs) We must all. Now, uh, Paul is speaking to believers. And he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due. That's speaking of rewards. They will receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or, or bad. So, Here's here's the foundations, then we're going to move into this. Paul is saying that every single one of us have an appointment coming up, and it is the most important appointment of our life. There is a future day coming where each and every one of us, when the king returns, we will stand before Jesus and the judgment seat of Christ and stay with me because this is actually a glorious reality that we get to uh, partake in. Hebrews 9.27 says that all men die once, and then are appointed to judgment, meaning we have one life. We do not have two lives. We do not have three lives. We do not get reincarnated. You have one life, and that is not a burdensome thing. That is not meant to produce heavy chains, but that's actually incredibly encouraging and uplifting to know that every part of your life matters before God. There is no such thing as a menial task. There's no such thing as a wasted season. We are going to one day stand before the King of glory and come into the immediate awareness on that day that he saw everything, he cared about everything, and he's going to respond and reward everything for what we have done. Nothing goes wasted before the Lord. Guys, if this revelation gets in our heart, It can break the chains of feeling frustrated by the processes that you go through. It will crush secret competition, knowing that God's eye sees you in all seasons. You don't need man to see you. That our hearts are to move God and move God alone. So listen, this says the judgment seat. Every believer will come before the judgment seat. You say, hold on, hold on. I thought that doesn't sound very good at first. And I thought thought in 1 John 4, it says that perfect love casts out fear and the fear of punishment and judgment. Now, why are we then coming before this judgment seat? And John, there's no contradiction here. Perfect love does cast out fear, but what John was speaking about was a different judgment. As As believers, what John was speaking about is what's called the great white throne judgment. Just... Can you guys just like, let me teach for a moment real quick. I promise. And we're going to really get deep in this. There's two judgments that we're going to come before. The reason, the judgment we do not fear, the one that we actually have gladness in our heart when we think about it, uh, both of them we do, but it's the great white throne is what John was saying, which is a judgment of faith. It's in Revelation 20. It's a judgment of faith. In other words, every single person, whether believer or unbeliever, is going to come before God and the judgment is simple. Are you righteous or not? And how you become righteous is real simple. Faith in Christ. There will be a book called the Lamb's Book of Life, and if your name is in it, you will pass into eternal glory with Christ. If not, you will be eternally separated from him. And the only way you can get there is by faith in Jesus. This will be the separation of the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the chaff. That's what Jesus is speaking about, that judgment. And it is our hope that every person in this house would find their name written in that book. You can't do enough good things. You can't work your way into it. I want to be abundantly clear what we're talking about today is not salvation. It's not salvation. But what we're talking about is what did we do with the new life that Christ gave us? It's not that we're saved by good works, but amazingly, God just doesn't leave us there. He's now prepared good works for us. And he actually wants to respond to our yeses that we've given him on this earth. So the great white throne is the is the judgment of faith, but the judgment seat of Christ is the judgment of works. And what happens is, is this is for believers specifically. That believers will come before this and you say, hold on, why? Why would God have another judgment? Because our, our minds, when we hear judgment, we say, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound good. Guys, can I tell you, judgment, there's, a, there's an aspect where in the natural, we see something negative, although it's all good. Like God's judgment where he destroys is good. But part of God's judgment is, is deliverance as well. Do you know that? There's a book called the Book of Judges, and a judge is a deliverer. <laughs> so when we talk about God as a judge, there is a profoundly positive side to that. All of it's positive, but, but, but there's things that feel good. There's things that may not always feel good. But when we come before this judgment seat of Christ, it is a judgment of works. And so what's happening here, you say, why would he do this? I want to tell you this. This judgment is not a judgment of you coming to be shamed or condemned. Some of the ideas that I had growing up of giving an account as a believer before the Lord is that I was going to come before him and my whole life would be laid bare, I think I said this last time jokingly, but on big screen TVs and there would be David and Abraham and uh, Joseph and everyone else and there would be everything that I've done, even the things that I've turned from and repented and God would make me relive all of those things and say, look at you, look at you. That is not what he's doing for Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore no condemnation who are in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1 says you were once separated from Christ, but now through the blood of Jesus, you've been presented before God, holy, blameless, and above reproach. So when you come to this judgment seat as a believer, you're coming without condemnation. You're coming holy, blameless, and above reproach. So why do we have this? It's because the nature of God is a rewarder. The whole idea of the judgment seat of Christ is for God to express his generous nature and to let you know how he felt about the way you loved him on this earth. That he would let you know that your acts of righteousness will not go unseen. He says, I will vindicate every yes that you've ever given to me. Not to condemn, not to shame. The nature of God is to reward. Just look through the scriptures. Hebrews 11 says it is impossible to please God without faith and no one can even draw near to God unless they believe he exists and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says when you pray, when you fast, when you give, he says do not do it for the eye of man. He says truly I tell you, you have received your reward in full. But when you do these things, do it in such a way that your father, who sees what is done in secret, it will be for him and he will openly reward you. Why does God put two trees in the garden? (laughs) You ever think about this? Why did God put one tree we can partake and one tree we can't? I've got some wisdom for God. This whole thing could have been avoided if we removed the tree that we shouldn't have. God, why did you put a tree... But think about this my natural wisdom would say god you could have just removed that tree and it would have been all good why did you put two trees did you want to trap us did you want to set us up No, no 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 the reason why god puts two trees one to partake and one not is because his nature is to reward but he cannot reward you if he does not give you a choice it's actually not to set you up but to say i want to be so generous and bless you and i want to reward you but i can't if you have no other alternative options Life is essentially God always presenting two trees. We get frustrated by the other one, but he says, I've given you everything you need to choose me. I do that because I want a reward. I want to bless. It is what my nature is. The judgment seat of Christ, again I say this, it is primarily a profoundly positive reality. What Paul is playing on is the imagery of the uh, what was almost the uh, Olympic games in Greek culture. The, the judgment seat is called the bema seat in the Greek. It's called the bema seat. And what would happen is, as they would partake in athletic games, the, uh, the, the, the athletes, the ones who ran the race, when they were done, they would come before the bema seat, the judge who sat on the bema seat, and they would receive their rewards for how they ran. They would receive crowns. They would receive garments. They would receive wreaths. Guys, do you know that a lot of the gifts... I mean, the, uh, the rewards are played off of those imageries. I'll share next time the, the, the uh, rewards that Christ give us. There's crowns, it says. There's garments. There's levels of leadership that God gives us in the age to come, he talks about. And it's based off of this. That's why Paul was constantly making the equation of how he's a runner who runs the race. You ever hear this? He's always saying this. I run for the prize set before me. Corinthians, he says, I will not forfeit the reward that God has for me. What he's saying is, I'm aware that one day I'll, I'm going to come before the Bema seed of Christ, and I want to I have given my life to everything that he had created me for. Yeah? <laughs> so come with me to Revelation uh, tw- 22. 22, 22, you got it. Now I really shared that just so you can have a vision of this day, that we're gonna come before this, the judgment seat of Christ. But I wanna look at Revelation 22 verse, specifically verse 12. And as I mentioned when I started, God has been putting in our heart his return, his return. I'm not saying that it's happening tomorrow, I don't know if we'll ever see it in our life, but there's something to get in our hearts of that day that affects us now. And I want you to hear Jesus speaking about his own return. Like these are the, the pretty much outside of a, a few statements at the very end, his last words we have in the scriptures. And he's speaking about his coming. And look what he says. Revelation 22, verse 12. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. Now, do we believe that Jesus' words are faithful and true? Yes. Can we build our life around the words of Jesus? Yes. I, and I'm not trying to say that being sarcastic. I mean that because sometimes I can read these things and just go on in my life. This is the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, behold, I am coming soon. You say, well, it's 2,000 years ago. Yeah, well, 1,000 years is like a day to the Lord. <laughs> but he says, I am coming soon. OK, Jesus, what do you want us to know about when you come? These are going to be your last words speaking about your return. You could share anything about what's going to happen when you come back. What do you want us to know? And look what he says. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense or rewards with me to repay each one for what he has done. So the Lord says, here's what I want you guys to know. I am coming soon. And one of the key things I want you to know is when I come, I am coming with rewards in my hand for my people. And I will repay them, each of them, for what they have done. And so if we're going to be a bridal generation who's a ready bride for the Lord, we must know that when he comes back, he's coming with rewards, and then we must have the revelation of what that means. For if we're truly going to be ready, we're going to understand that he's coming back as a rewarder. And there's a few things that just grip my heart from this that I want to I encourage you with. Number one is that these rewards, it's not some cold exchange, guys. It's not some weird like business transaction where he says, well, you did ABC, so here's XYZ. For Revelation 22, the context is a bridegroom king coming back for his bride. And so what you have is a bridegroom partner coming back and openly expressing how he felt about our obedience and our small yeses to him on this earth. The rewards of Christ are Christ expressing to us how he felt about the way we loved him on this earth. (laughs) The rewards of Christ are tangible expressions of his affirmation for us. In other words, when we come before the Lord, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then he will also give rewards that will further express the way he felt about the way we loved him on the earth. (laughs) And here's what's amazing is that we were wired and created to long for his affirmation and love. We actually find deeper delight in him when he affirms us, which means these rewards will not lead us to puff up our chest and boast in ourselves, but they will actually cause us to fall on our knees even more and worship and glorify him. For we love to hear our father say, you did a good job. (laughs) And the rewards will be, this is how I felt about the way you love me. Guys, no matter what, if you don't have any recognition for man, if you never get a title, if you never never get seen by anyone, God wants us to know with this revelation that your whole life is before him and you have the ability to move the heart of God. The smallest of things move God's heart. (laughs) Which means when you pray for someone else's breakthrough and they don't even know about it, God says, I see it, and it blesses me. When you go and look after the needy and no one else sees it, God says, I see it, and it moves my heart. When you're fasting on behalf of someone else and no one else knows about it, God says, I see it. The smallest of things, every little detail, God takes notice of your life. Don said this before. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 42, even the small cups of cold water, Jesus told his disciples, Truly I tell you, even those things, you will not lose your reward when it's done in my name. Let that just sit on that revelation for a second. Jesus says, Even the small cups of cold water done in my name, I tell you this, I have seen it and I will reward you. And one day, as I said before, we will stand before him. And I believe we're going to be shocked at how all of the things that we've seen were so insignificant mattered so much to him. Do you know what the cold cups of water are? In in biblical times, uh, people would travel in the Middle East. They didn't have air conditioning cars. And they traveled long distances in heat. And it was expected, an act of hospitality, that you would give a cold cup of water. What Jesus is saying is even the mundane things, even the ordinary things, even the things that you feel like are not a big deal, He says, "Oh, when you do it unto me, it blesses my heart." How many know this the song? uh, I just want to move you. (laughs) What moves you? (laughs) That's the heart of these rewards. We're saying we're getting delivered from the secret competition with one another. We're getting delivered from wanting to push ourselves in front of people to be seen, and we're saying, "God, I just want to move you. What moves you?" And then one day we're going to come before God and he says, this is how you moved me. (laughs) And he's going to reward for the things that we have done. These rewards are not only a part of a love exchange, but I want you to see this. It says he's going to repay each one, each one, which means the rewards of Christ are personal and intimate. Do you know that God is so personally connected to your specific storyline? Everyone in this tent has a specific calling. You have a specific mandate, purposes, plans, put whatever word you want there, but God has created you for something unique. And when we come before the Lord, he's not holding us to some universal general standard. Like, thank God for the Billy Grahams of the world. And if God has preached, uh, called you to preach to the millions and to stand in foreign nations and, and do the crusades, do it faithfully. But I want you to know this, that in the eyes of God, that does not impress him. What impresses God is faithfulness. And if he's called you to preach to the nations or if he's called you to change diapers and raise your kids in the ways of the Lord, you do it faithfully unto him. And he says, I see that. I see that. It's not about being bigger, better, more successful than one another, but it's about being faithful to the calling that God has on your life. He says in the parable of the talents, well done, my good and successful servant, influential servant. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithfulness, he says. And do you know in that, in that parable, he gives five talents, two talents, and one talent. And these talents represent, thats actually a monetary value, but I think it speaks to that how God bestows different just graces and callings on people's lives. And some have five talents. In the natural, you say, wow, look at this person. Some in the natural, you say two, they don't seem as gifted. But do you know that the one who had five and two talents were both faithful to their assignments? And do you know when Jesus came and responded to them about their life, do you know that he gave the same exact reward to both of them? He did not say, wow, you had five talents, you did so many amazing things, but you, you just raised your kids in the ways of God, not that impressive. No, no, he says, you did exactly what I asked you to do, therefore you're gonna receive the same thing that this person received. Do you see how that sets us free to fully embrace what God has made us for? In fact, we can get so delivered from competition, we can actually get in one another's corners to root for one another, because their success is not a threat to us. And then he says this, another thing, not only are they personal and intimate, but it says he's going to repay each one, very important, for what he has done. So what is the nature of these rewards? What is God actually responding to? He's responding to our, he's responding to our works. So he, it doesn't say he's responding to what we believed. He says he's actually rewarding us for the things that we did. Now, Stay with me for a moment, because this is where things can get really weird. <laughs> and I don't want you to walk out of here with a with a burden that you're not meant to carry, but I do want you to understand what this is saying. I want to be very clear, once again, that what we're talking about is not salvation. And so the, the call here is not, can you do enough good things to get into heaven? I don't even like that expression, because it's about Jesus, but you know what I mean. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the good works that flow from trusting in his finished work. Yeah. But what we need to be careful of is, although we're not saved by works, we, we can swing to the other side of the pendulum and come under a false paradigm of grace which says that your works do not matter at all. That God could care less about what happens after you've said yes to him. And beloved, I, this, is, this is actually, God so much cares about our lives and what we do. Again, that, that's not heavy, that's actually liberating to know that it really matters to him the things that he has put in our life. James, James uh, 2.26 says, faith without works is dead. The Lord really cares about the works that he has given us. And amazingly, he could have just said, look, I've saved you and that's enough, or I've given you good things, but, but that's enough. But then he wants to reward us for the good things he's doing. Now, listen to me on this too. To go even further with this, I find it really hard to even call these things rewards, but I do that because that's what the Bible says. But I find it hard because they're so saturated and dripping in grace themselves. Stay with me on this. How is that so? Think about this. What is God actually rewarding? God is actually rewarding the work that he's doing through you. (laughs) How can we call it a reward when it's actually his work that he's doing in us? So what God actually says is put your faith in my finished work of my son and then let the spirit of my son live in you and produce good works through you. And if you just get out of the way and give your yes and surrender, I'll actually reward you for the things that I'm doing through your life. (laughs) It's grace from beginning to end. All we have to do is like the fight of faith. I find more and more the fight of faith, the good fight is really surrendering. (laughs) It's just letting God do what he wants to do through my life, and then God says, you move my heart when you let me work through you. And then he rewards you for that. And here's the second thing. Not only is it God who's actually working through us, but what he gives in return for what we did, it so far outweighs what we actually put in. See, I would think when you talk about rewards, I'm thinking equal input and output, but it's not even close. What he gives so far exceeds what we actually did. (laughs) For Matthew 19, 29, Jesus said, anyone who leaves his father, brother, sister, mother, in other words, anyone who makes a sacrifice for me, he says, I promise you this, you will receive a reward in this age of a hundredfold, and not only in this age, but in the age to come. (laughs) Do you know what a hundredfold means? It's an expression of unlimited return, (laughs) Jesus says, you make small decisions, you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life in the smallest of ways right now, and I'll respond by blessing and rewarding you for, for billions and billions of years. <laughs> As we said before, one, one small step of obedience produces a mile of blessing from God. So we're calling them re- rewards, but it's God working through us, and He so lavishes, lavishes on us what He wants to do. So, where are we? yeah I'm going to share this uh, this last thing First Corinthians three we'll close here. are you guys tracking with me right now I want to open up the first Corinthians chapter three, please. It's like a strong wind that's blowing my Bible yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to close here. But this really brings us into personal application of the things that I've said. And I believe this provides some really clear context of how God evaluates our life. And I want everyone to hear this. This is so important. The context of 1 Corinthians 3 is that Paul is addressing division that's coming within the church. Specifically, there's this envy and strife, and it's being rooted in the fact that some say they follow Apollos, some say they follow Paul, some say they follow Cephas, and so they're all they're all doing these works and trying to do ministry from all of these impure, unhealthy motives, where they're actually competing with one another. They're they're forming, uh, you know, uh, different different sections within the within the body, and Paul's remedy. To set them free from building this way is to get them locked into the revelation of the judgment seat of Christ. Because he says, even if you build something from that unhealthy motive, it will be burned up when you stand before God. Guys, that is so important. He says, why basically he says, why would you waste your time building from that place when it will not even be able to stand? 60 years of building things through wrong motives in a moment before God will be burned up. And so pick it up in verse 10. It says, here." this close. He says, according to the grace of God given to me. That's important. So this is grace he starts in. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. And here's the key right here. Verse 11. This is such an important verse. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the first thing Paul says is, by grace, I have laid a foundation, and the foundation is Christ. Everyone take a deep breath. (laughs) If you are in Christ, you are resting in the free gift of righteousness. Your foundation is the grace of God. It's Jesus Christ, and no man can ever add to it or take it away. Paul says you are rooted in a firm foundation. I repeat again, what we are talking about today is not a matter of can you do enough things to get saved. Paul says you are resting in the finished work of Jesus. But then he does make an important statement that we can build off of this foundation, which is our life works. And so verse 12, he says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Verse 13, listen, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. What is that? The judgment seat of Christ's day. He says, be careful how you build, for there is a day coming when all of your life works are going to be made manifest. In other words, what you did it for and why you did it is going to be openly exposed before the Lord. How? How? He says in the second part of verse 13, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So Paul says there's a day coming when we'll come before the Lord, and he says, all of our life works will be laid bare before the Lord because the eternal purifier of God will touch it. The thousands and thousands of decisions we made in a moment will be manifest because God's fire will touch it. And when the Lord's fire touches it, it will essentially ask one question. Who did you do it for? Why did you do it? What were you building it for? Was it to be seen? Was it for the praise of man? And Paul's giving an image that I have. It's like us carrying our life works and we're going to pass through a firewall. <laughs> not a waterfall, but a firefall. <laughs> and when we come through it, on the other side, that which was pure will remain and he will reward, but that which is not, he says, will be burned up. For fire does not destroy gold, but it reveals it. That which has been built by hay and straw will be bu- will be burned up in a moment. 50, 60 years of some things that was just done with the Man, the, the, the motives of, look at me. Jesus was a stepping stone, really, for my own brand and name. Those stuff will be destroyed, guys. This is, this is the words of the Lord from his, from his word. Those things will not be able to last. But those that were for him, he says, you will receive reward for that. And then verse 15 says this. We'll leave it here. He says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. So Paul says, I'm not talking again about your salvation, he says, but you will receive loss. What do I mean by that? The judgment seat of Christ, there's no condemnation, there's no shame, but hear me, the Bible says there can be loss. What is the loss? The loss is what God wanted to give us for eternity, but he cannot because what we built, either we did not build what he asked, Or what we actually built was not in a motive for him. And the lost there is saying, I had so much more. Guys, we will enter into eternal glory. There will not be regret. But I believe there will be a moment where we will be confronted before the Lord. And we will come into the realization and say, why did I waste my time in all of those things? Why did I give so much affection to these things? If I would have known this day, why would I have ever been in such secret competition with that person? Why would I have ever built from this place if I would have known one day I'd come before here? And the desire is to say, Lord, I've heard it said this way Lord, shock my life today that I'm not shocked on that day. For the message of Paul here is that you can be saved, but you can actually waste your life. And God would have said, There was so much more I wanted to do, there were so many things I had. But you did not do those things. And I believe that, I really do believe the Lord wants to, wants to just come and, and pierce our hearts with this revelation. That you would be encouraged, that you would be strengthened to live so faithful in the things that he has asked you to do. That when we stand on that day, there would be such a confidence that everything he's given us, we've said yes to and we've said yes for him. Amen. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up if you would. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you for your word, oh God. We thank you for your word, O oh Lord. It's a light to our feet, Lord. God, we want to be a house that builds something that can endure eternity. Lord, we want to build around your presence. God, we don't want to just entertain the lost. But we want to build something that is for you, unto you, because of you, that moves you, that blesses you. And Lord, we want it with our individual lives as well. And so we're asking right now, Holy Spirit, would you would you put your finger on things in our life and would you even shock us today that we would not be shocked on that day Lord I pray for those that are struggling because they feel unseen they feel unrecognized they feel like they don't have a voice they feel like they're not making a difference They feel like they're so insufficient compared to others. They're inadequate. They don't possess the same amount of talents. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would awaken them, that your eyes upon them right now, and that everything that they do comes right before you, and it moves your heart, and it blesses your heart. So God, I ask that you would put eternity into our hearts and that you would put this day into our hearts. Would you seal this day into our hearts? That in greater measures, faithfulness, faithfulness would abound. Lord, I pray for those who have been struggling with their life assignments Oh, would you put a faithfulness in their heart that one day they're going to come before the King of glory and they're going to lock eyes with a man of love. And you're going to stare right into him, and they're going to affirm their life and said, I saw you raising your kids. I saw you witnessing to the lost. I saw you going to the places that no one saw. I saw you and it blessed me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. Oh, enter into the joy of my kingdom and now I will set you over much. Lord, I pray that you would break, break, break secret competition, break rivalries, God. Break the pull of this culture that it's always got to be bigger and better. But Lord, teach us To be content as a Mary, Lord, if you've called us to sit at your feet. Lord, if you've called us to behold your face morning and night, God. Lord, if that's what you've asked this house to do, then we will do it faithfully, God. We will do it faithfully unto you. I pray this morning that you would break chains of striving, God. Chains of trying to push our way and make your plans go faster, God. Oh, but we can build right in front of us, oh God. We can build with the tasks you've put in front of us, God. We don't need to worry about it, God. We will build in front. Lord, you can open doors supernaturally, God. Hallelujah. na yeah.